Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Find out what he said coming right up. imagination. If you do, I see you. I get you. I definitely have one myself. In fact, when my kids were little, there was one game that I hated to play above all else. Hide and seek. You heard that right. Hide and seek. It's a terrible, terrifying game. I hate it more than pretty much any other game. I mean, hiding? Nope. That's not fun. You're just sitting there waiting for somebody to like jump out and find you. Seeking? Also not fun. Who wants to find somebody lurking in dark corners of their home? Not me. Definitely never enjoyed hide and seek. And don't even get me started on capture the flag, laser tag, or any other game that involves chasing people in the dark. I am not for any of them. I am an avid reader and all of those kinds of games throw me into a spy novel world in my brain where I feel like I'm doing everything in my power to get away from the enemy and he's always just one step behind me. That's my over-imagination at play. Well, that is fiction and we recognize it as such that books and movies are not real, and even my overactive imagination, not real. And yet here we have Jesus's prayer, and his prayer is saying that that's not that far from reality, that we do have an enemy who's defined as a prowling lion who is out stalking his prey, always trying to get that upper hand in order to defeat and destroy them. We also have a world that's enticing in its destruction. And, and like we've said a few times now, we don't mean people, we mean cosmos, the ordered system of things in this world. And yet we're called to walk through this world, to walk through all of the hardship, to walk through all of the danger. And Jesus prays specifically for us. Matthew Henry about this portion of this prayer that Jesus is praying in John 17 says, but he prayed that the father would keep them from evil, from being corrupted by the world, the remains of sin in their hearts, and from the power and craft of Satan so that they might pass through the world as through an enemy's country as he had done. So Jesus continues this prayer for those who have been with him, for those who have followed him for the entirety of his ministry, these three years up until this moment, for those who have heard his teaching, who have chosen to give their lives and surrender to him, that have put their faith in him. And those are going to be the people who, as Jesus looks ahead towards uh, the crucifixion, as Jesus looks ahead towards ascending into heaven to not being here on the earth anymore. Those are the people who are going to be passing through the world as though through an enemy country. And while this 
a passage of scripture, John 17 verses 6 to 19, is related specifically to those people that were with him, to the disciples, not just the 12, but the greater crowd too that chose to put their faith in Jesus. It's really geared to those people who actually heard him speak with physical ears and heard or saw him with physical eyes. This is geared towards those people who were with him, who are going to now be facing for the first time this faith journey without him. While this passage is specifically for them, Jesus continues in verse 20 with these words, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so we can glean truth from this too. We get to tag ourselves in to these words and this prayer of Jesus. So turn in, turn with me in your Bible to John 17. We're going to camp out here this morning. John 17. And we're going to be picking up at verse 6 and we're going to be walking through this together. If you don't have a Bible, you can head on over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And we have um, a form there if you would like a paper Bible. It's our delight to give those out as well as some um, links to app stores so you can download a digital version of the Bible right there as well. Well, would you open up in prayer with me? So God, I thank you that you, as always, guide us into truth. And so this morning, as we look into your word, as we take some time to ponder what it is that you're calling us to and you're speaking over us as you pray for those who are gonna trust you, would you allow that word to come alive in our hearts? Would you change us? Would you speak? So Holy Spirit, the one who is our spirit of truth, would you guide us this morning? Would you allow that which is just going to be spoken of my own strength and my own ideas, would you just allow that to fade away? We don't need to hear. We need to hear you. Because when you speak, you change us. And we so desire to look more and more like you. So lead us, guide us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to kind of pick up here and we're going to go section by section. So John 17, 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. And so again, Jesus is setting up the subject of this moment in his prayer. He's praying specifically for those who have put their faith in Jesus. He's praying specifically for those who have walked with him up to this point, who've listened to his teaching and accepted it as truth to those who have chosen to believe and who have recognized in him the revelation of God. And so in this moment, as Jesus is like literally standing there with them, he's also looking forward to what he knows is to come. And how odd would that have been to be standing there, to be hearing the words of Jesus and not really understanding them all. 
See, Jesus is about to endure the cross. and We know that he's about to conquer death in his resurrection. And we also know that he's about to leave these men and women here on earth as he returns to heaven. And he's going to leave them here to share what they've witnessed and not on their own strength or, or by themselves, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is fully aware of what this is going to mean. He's fully aware of this battle of doubt and questions that the disciples are going to have as they um, kind of ponder what happened in this moment of Jesus's crucifixion and death before the resurrection. He's fully aware of what it's going to mean when they find out that he's ascended to the Father and they feel like they've been left again after they just got him back as he rose from the dead. And Jesus is fully aware of what it means to follow him as we move forward in history. He's fully aware of what is going to happen to those people who choose to hold up the banner of the name of Jesus. He's aware. And so this prayer is full of those realities of walking through an enemy country. This prayer is full of the petition of God to keep and sustain the disciples, and in turn, those of us who still today would turn and surrender to the name of Jesus, who would be modern day disciples, those who would walk closely after Jesus. G. Campbell Morgan writes, he was praying for the instrument that he was creating through which he would reach the world. And in this prayer, we are given some tools that we can use in order to walk through an enemy country and stay grounded and rooted in our faith. We're given some tools of how we can walk through a foreign country as foreigners, how to navigate not simply a physical world with, with physical demands, but a spiritual one as well. So what are these tools that he gives us? Well, let's pick up in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The first tool that Jesus uh, calls us to or gifts us is unity. We are made for community. We've said this over and over and over and over. You were made for community. But more than just like community, friendship, relationship, which you were definitely made for, you were made for faith community. There's a protection and encouragement and an accountability that's in the design of the fabric of what faith community or the church has been called to be. We are called to be one. Now, over the years and over the centuries and over history, that call to be one has looked a lot like conformity, not unity. So David Guzik cautions that as we remember this command to unity, we also remember the Godhead, the Trinity, the three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that each are unique and separate and still perfectly united as one. The unity that we've been called to is not sameness. It's not conformity. It's unity. It's a unity of spirit, a unity of purpose. It's a choice to overcome that which would divide us without a common surrender to God. It's a choice that when we come to those places where we cannot agree, that we don't bang our heads together, 
We don't yell and shout that we don't allow that to divide, but we seek the face of God together and we ask him to change our hearts in one. There's a safety together. We can rally around those that are hurting. We can protect those that are vulnerable. We can hold accountable those who find themselves in error. Faith community is one in which we rejoice together and we mourn together. Of this call to unity, Bruce Milne writes, their unity will itself be a victory over the devil since part of his strategy will be to attack it. It will also be part of their armory against him since their fellowship will be an expression of the power of God's name, which protects them. This unity will be patterned after the unity of the Father and the Son. As I was thinking through this passage and pondering it and praying about it, I couldn't help but think of a wildlife documentary. When a cheetah or maybe a pride of lions is stalking some poor antelope or wildebeest, and what is the usual strategy of these animals of prey? They separate the weak from the herd. And in our culture, we've been so deceived into thinking that strength is the same as independence, that it's just better to walk alone somehow. It's easier. But friends, don't be an antelope. It's okay to need each other. Actually, if we read into this, that's not strong enough. It's God-honoring to need each other. It's God-honoring to embrace community. It's God-honoring to live out what we were created for. Don't be an antelope. And so as we each stay connected to the vine, and as we each ask the Holy Spirit to continue to make us look more and more like Jesus, to reveal his heart, to show us his ways, then our unity deepens because we find unity in purpose and unity in spirit. The unity patterned after the unity of the Father and Son, as Bruce Milne wrote. We're not the same. It's not conformity. We're united. Jesus knew that we wouldn't be able to walk this path alone. That we wouldn't be able to make it through enemy country alone. And so he prayed that we would know this relationship that he has with the Father. That we would find our source in him. And that as we each do, we would see that closeness, that unity with one another as well. That's tool number one. Tool number two is joy. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Do you ever wish that we had a GoPro or like cell phone videos, <laughs> something when Jesus was walking this earth? Because I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, you can imply tone. I mean, that's why if you have something difficult to say, you should do it in person or on a phone call, right? Not through a text message. We can imply tone. And so when I read sometimes the life of Jesus, I can so easily imply that he was stern and solemn, how somehow we've equated uh, holiness 
with being reserved. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. When we get to verses like this and they make me go, huh, I need to sit with this for a bit. Because I wonder if we've gotten this joy thing wrong the whole time. See, the, the hard thing to kind of merge is that Jesus is called the man of sorrows. And yet here we hear that he's saying that he's the fullness of joy. Bruce Milne writes, it's surely remarkable that he can refer to his own joy when he knows that the most appalling suffering is about to engulf him. Nor is it a passing or spasmodic joy to which he refers. It's the full measure of his joy. And I wonder if we've gotten this joy thing all wrong. What if the things that I've counted as joy aren't? What if we've cheapened joy to be situation dependent? When the joy that Jesus is inviting us into is so much deeper than that. In fact, this word for joy in the Greek, kara, can be equally defined as delight. And according to Strong's Concordance in this passage right here, it can be defined properly as the awareness of God's grace, favor, joy, as grace recognized. If we're going to make it through this world, through enemy country, then we're going to need a deep and abiding joy and a delight that comes from the awareness of God's grace towards us, that comes from the awareness of all that God has done to give us the ability to last and persist and persevere. We're going to need an undergirding of joy that persists regardless of what we face. We're going to need to choose to fix our eyes on the things that last. And that's found in the person of Jesus. We need a full measure of joy within us. I attended a really interesting seminar probably about a decade ago now, and it was talking about Gen Z, which at that point they hadn't even termed Gen Z yet. Um, they were the pluralist generation. And they were looking at them and they were looking at the pursuit of happiness. And in tracking generations over the years in this pursuit of happiness, researchers found something really interesting. Since that phrase was coined, the pursuit of happiness, every subsequent generation had uh, higher degrees of unhappiness and greater diagnoses of depression. It seems that in the pursuit of happiness, the opposite was occurring. We were left empty. God, in his wisdom of how he created us, offers us something deeper and lasting than the pursuit of happiness, which fades as our circumstances change. If we look to the world around us, if we look to that which is temporary for joy, we're going to be left wanting because there's only one source of joy that cannot be tarnished. And that's the awareness of God's grace and favor, joy that is grace recognized. And that brings us to tool number three in Jesus's prayer. But in order to read it, we're going to jump ahead to verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctification is just a fancy word for purification, to purify something or to set it apart for a holy purpose. I love this prayer. I think it's such a beautiful prayer full of the character of God that he would call us out, that he would cleanse us and then use us knowing full well what he pulled us out of, that he would clean us off and set us apart for a holy use. How beautiful is the grace of God in our lives. And so as we recognize God's grace, as we have this joy, this full measure of joy that's building up within us because of this recognition of all that God's done for us, we have this desire to live a life of purity and holiness. It's all connected. And so Jesus asks that the Father would sanctify us by truth. And this aletheia truth, that's the Greek word used here, is a divine revelation kind of truth. This is a truth that we can't find apart from God. We can't find it apart from the Holy Spirit, who is our spirit of truth. So what a beautiful prayer that as we each spend more and more time with God, as we sit in his presence, as we read his word, as we pray and he speaks back to us, that he would purify us and set us apart for a holy purpose. You hear all the he's in there? This is a sanctification that we cannot do on our own. This isn't a try harder kind of thing. This isn't a go and change your clothes so you look presentable kind of thing. This is a sanctification that's solely dependent on the grace of God to continually meet us. A sanctification for a purpose, that we would be witnesses to the difference that Jesus makes in a life. And this prayer of sanctification is one that we wouldn't fall on our own sin or, or give in to the destructive whims of the cosmos, the world around us as we journey through our lives. This is a prayer that as we walk through enemy country, we would not do so in our own strength, but in surrender to the word and the way of Jesus, which will bring us a life of sanctification. Starting back up at verse six, I have revealed to you, or revealed to you, sorry, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sprinkled in the midst of all these beautiful nuggets of truth, all these tools that Jesus gives us as we walk through enemy country is one that we cannot miss. The character of God that holds all else together. Woven into the fabric of this prayer in the midst of all of, of these beautiful prayers for us is the truth of the preserving and sustaining power of the Holy Spirit and the might of the name of Jesus. And without those things, the rest is impossible. We cannot walk through enemy country without the preserving and sustaining power of the Holy Spirit and the might of the name of Jesus. But we try, don't we? We've been promised this might and protection to be able to endure what comes our way, to be able to stand strong in the face of opposition. We've been given the gift of the word of God. We've been given the gift of prayer. We've been given the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God Almighty. And still, when push comes to shove, how often do I fall back on what I've always known and what I've always done? How often do I fall back on my preferences and my skill sets and my habits? How often do I fall back on the wisdom of a Google search or the advice of a friend? And I can choose to count my blessings and look for joy and gratitude, but forget that what I really need is time in the presence of God. And I can run to faith community for suggestions and answers when things get tough, but forget that what I really need is to search the word of God for truth that can only be found in him. And I can try harder to say the right things and to do the right things and, and do my best to purify myself, but forget when I surrender, when I call on the name of Jesus, Holiness is a byproduct of the grace that I receive. It's not easy. It's painful when sin is pulled out of our life and we recognize it. But it's easy and light and good. The tools without the master are like bringing a wooden sword to a battle. It might make me feel more secure in the moment, but it's not going to do much counterfeit. What I really need is the preservation and the protection and the presence of God. I need to spend time with Jesus. I need to be in his word. I need to surrender to him and invite him to shape me, to reframe my thoughts, to refine my words, to make consistent my actions. And then from that place of connection to the vine, I can find the strength in the fight, not my own, but in the power of the name of Jesus. And from that place of connection, I can find delight and joy in being adopted as a child of God. And I can walk out that identity where looking like Jesus isn't a chore, but it's a delight 
And the unity that I walk in with God becomes the foundation of the unity that I have with others who have also been adopted by the Most High. It starts here. It starts here. It starts with acknowledging who Jesus is to me. It starts with surrendering my life to the relationship that I've been invited to through the cross. It starts at my end, when I allow God to be God and lean wholly on Him. That's when I can walk with assurance in enemy country. I can walk as a foreigner in a foreign land, in the world, but fully set apart for a holy purpose by a holy God. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you don't leave us on our own, that you desire a relationship with us and that in your presence, in your character, in the mighty name of Jesus is all that we need. And so I pray right now for my friends on the other side of this screen, that God, you would preserve and strengthen and sustain them, that we would each find our joy in you in the reality of grace and what you've done for us. And that as a response of really understanding and grappling with that, that we would desire a life of holiness, of being set apart by a holy God for a holy purpose. And that that would become the foundation of unity in your church. We love you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for adopting us. We are so undeserving, but we are so grateful. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Lisa, for uh, your message today. What an encouragement to our hearts. Well, we have Grow Track happening again after our service uh, in person. And so we would love to invite you to Grow Track 301. Grow Track is a way for you to discover the way that God has created and designed you uniquely and how your uniqueness kind of fits in God's body uh, or in the uh, body of Christ in the community of faith. And so we would love to invite you to take that next step. Uh, we're doing 301. Uh, it's all about who you are, and so we would love for you to join us right after our 10 a.m. Sunday morning service. That's about like 11.35, 11.40 uh, is when you want to show up. If you're coming to Grow Track, we would love to see you there. Well, we're having a Good Friday service this Friday, April 15th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. As we uh, kick off Easter weekend, we would love to see you there. Uh, you can join us in person or online, and then we're also gonna be having our Easter Sunday service, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, uh, just like we always do. Well, you've heard us talk about it so much, but we cannot wait for camp this summer. It's happening the first three weeks of July, and we can't do camp without you and our amazing volunteers. We're looking for volunteers specifically in our kitchen and in our cleaning uh, teams. And so if you wanna get involved with any part of camp, uh, we would love your help. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash camp, it will give you all of the ways that you can find that volunteer info um, and, and get signed up for camp because we would love to see you there. 
Well, if you wanna be a part of our next gen team, so Evangel Kids, Evangel Preteens, or Evangel Youth, uh, or if you are already a volunteer in that area, we are having our mandatory plan to protect meeting. This is uh, a way that we cover our volunteers and protect our children uh, from some of the, the challenging things that can happen. And so we would love to see you there. If you're part of our kids team, our, our preteens team, or our uh, Evangel youth team, we uh, need to see you there so that you can do some training. It's gonna be April 20th at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. If you have any questions or if you can't make that date, please feel free to reach out to Pastor Lisa. She'd love to have a conversation with you about where we can make that up. And then finally, if what we do here uh, adds value to your faith, we would love your partnership in giving. Uh, we can't do the everyday things that we do here at Evangel without your partnership. So if you wanna get involved with that, you can go to myevangel.church forward slash give, and it will give you all the ways that you can do that. Thank you so much friends for joining us and we'll see you again soon.